I love how uh, I just got on and uh, I saw the Max Scherzer news. I was like, oh, that's something we can talk about. Yeah, no, I know it. I know <laughs> it. Hey, Birdland, how are we? I'm doing great today as my finals are so close to done and I have an awesome guest on today. My guest is not new to the show as he's been on once before. Today, me and my guest, Brendan Mortensen, are going to talk about his 2023 experience at Winter Meetings and everything that went down in Nashville. With that, I'm not going to do any trivia of the week so we can dive into all the topics we have. Um, we will talk about Max Scherzer. What do you think about that? I mean, I wasn't surprised. Yeah, I mean, look, Scherzer is a great pitcher. Um, when he is healthy, he's one of the best in the game. Obviously, you know, hoping for a speedy recovery and that he's able to get back and and contribute to winning. But you know, when he's when he's on the field, it's it's still Max Scherzer at the end of the day. If there's a a big game, if there's a playoff game, I feel as confident in him as just about anybody else in baseball. So mm -hmm. I'm sure you know they'll they'll take their time with Scherzer and and once he's able to get back, you know, he's he's going to be pitching in big games down the stretch, which is what you need him healthy for. So you know, hoping for a speedy recovery and and when he's on the field, he's he's still one of the best there is. Also, today, Michael Walker got signed by the Royals two years, $32 million. Any opinions on that? Yeah, I mean, I think Waka was a good possibility for the Orioles in free agency. He kind of fit the archetype of what I think the O's might have been looking for if they're not necessarily going for number one, which I think is still on the table. Michael Waka, I think, pretty easily slots in as your number three, number four. He's somewhere in that category with John Means behind Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez. The two years, $32 million isn't a massive contract. That's also right around where I thought the Orioles could have been in play for somebody in free agency. If you were looking at somebody towards the back end of the rotation, maybe you're looking at $30 million, $40 million, somewhere in that ballpark. So, you know, walk out of the Royals, I think it takes another Orioles option off the board. And as we've kind of gathered here in free agency with guys like Eduardo Rodriguez going off the board, you know, I think the trade market might be the route that the Orioles go if they are looking for another starting pitching addition. Waka was one of those kind of middle tier options. But if the Orioles want to go bigger than that, which is, you know, kind of what we have heard, then, you know, maybe the trade market's the way to do that. So talking about pitchers, I was looking at Bryce Miller from Seattle. I mm -hmm. mean, four point, I think three, two ERA. He has eight and seven record. Uh, I feel like that would be a perfect pitcher for Baltimore. Have, have you thought of that, that? Any opinions on that? Yeah, I mean, I have thought about the Seattle Mariners as a potential trade uh, partner for the entire offseason here. Mm -hmm. I think it makes a ton of sense. We have talked about it in the past with a team like the Marlins, where the Marlins were coming up. They had all this young starting pitching and they needed a bat. And the Orioles had guys that they could potentially move, whether that be prospects, whether that be starters at the big league level. It seemed like they lined up really, really well with the Marlins and a deal just never really came to fruition. But with the Mariners, I think it's the same sort of deal where the Mariners have this stacked starting rotation of a bunch mm. of good young pitchers, even if it's not, you know, Miller specifically, you've got George Kirby, who's not getting moved, but still a really good pitcher, yeah. you know, Logan Gilbert, uh, Wu, like there's a bunch of good pitchers over there, Emerson Hancock as well. Um, that are young, that are controllable, that maybe haven't peaked in the way that you would be looking for out of a number one, number two starter, but you would have them for a ton of years of team control, which we know would be valuable for the Orioles. And the Mariners are, are trading away some bats right now. We saw them move a Eugenio Suarez. So maybe they are in need of, you know, a type of starting position player that the Orioles just have an abundance of at both AAA and the big league level right now. So I think you know, whether it's Miller or whether it's another one of those Seattle pitchers specifically, I think the Mariners as a trade partner makes a ton of sense if the Orioles are looking for a young controllable guy and the Mariners are looking for some position player help. So, of course, I'm also going to be talking about, uh, about Otani. Uh, 700 million. I mean, that's the yeah. biggest contract in sports. Um, so at winter meetings, when you didn't hear any news, what was your opinion on that? Because I thought personally he would announce it at winter meetings. Yeah, it, it was kind of an interesting winter meetings with the Otani stuff because I think a lot of people went into that week at Nashville expecting the Otani news to break at some point in that week, like you said. Mm -hmm. And then it was just kind of not silent. I mean, there were a bunch of rumors flying around and things like that. You heard a lot of mumblings about the Blue Jays. You didn't really hear anything about the San Francisco Giants, which was a team that we thought could maybe be in on Otani. Of course, you heard 
about the Dodgers with Dave Roberts saying that, you know, Otani was their priority. And we knew the whole thing about Otani holding that against a team. So there was a bunch of Otani stuff happening, but we didn't really hear anything about specific negotiations or what the contract might look like, which made it a little bit weird because I think a lot of general managers around baseball were waiting to see what happened with Otani because if they didn't get Otani, then they were going to spend their money elsewhere. We saw it with San Francisco. Otani signs, they go out, they get Jung Ho Lee pretty quickly after that. It really impacted the market for guys like Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, um, you know, Yamamoto to some extent, I think as well, guys that are going to get bigger contracts and free agency. You kind of had to wait and see where Otani was going to go so that you knew what money you were working with. So now that that deal is off the board, I think things are going to move a little bit quicker here now. I mean, I, I thought that last week and we haven't seen it a ton, but yeah, a bit of a strange winter meetings where everybody kind of thought the Otani news would come pretty soon. And then, you know, it didn't end up coming until that weekend after. So talking about that, I mean, you were in the thick of it for the 2022 uh, winter meetings and 2023. Personally, mm -hmm. I thought this winter meetings was way more boring than last season. <laughs> uh, it could be because I was taking finals and stuff, so I wasn't as invested. Um, but what's your opinion on that? I mean, like winter meetings is always yeah. fun. Like there's there's always news and information flying around. And this free agency is different because the two biggest guys on the market, I mean, you have Otani, who was like going to set a record-breaking deal. And then you had Yamamoto, who is also probably going to get some sort of record-breaking deal. Like he'll probably get mm -hmm. nine, 10 years. So those two guys at the top were like superstar, superstar, superstars. And then after that, I mean, you've got guys like Cody Bellinger, former MVP, but, you know, he's been a little bit up and down over the last few years. Matt Chapman is a really good player, but, you know, has digressed a little bit at the plate over the last few seasons. You've got guys like Jordan Montgomery. That's like maybe a number one on some teams, but could be a number two elsewhere. So kind of after the top two superstars, there weren't a lot of like team altering signings that were going to be made in free agency here. Whereas last season, I mean, you had the shortstops, right? You had Dansby Swanson, you had Xander Bogarts, you had Trey Turner, you had Correa at that point. Like it was, there were a bunch of players that could be really franchise altering guys where in this free agency class, I think you've got the two top guys in Otani and Yamamoto that are, you know, franchise altering type mm -hmm. of players. But then after that, it's, you know, guys that are going to contribute to winning and are still really excellent players, but aren't garnering the same sort of excitement as some superstar shortstops that we saw last year. And I even got a comment on Instagram about like, I think when it was a Tawny sign and then the Dodgers signed Glasnow, they were like, you're not even afraid of the Dodgers right now. I'm like, no, <laughs> like they're in the NL. We play yeah. them once. Yeah. And Glasnow, I don't even know if he'll pitch by the time we play him next year, but all the injuries he has, Otani won't be pitching against us. I mean, if we can shut down Mookie, Freddie Freeman, I think we'll be decent. Yeah, I mean, it, look, the Dodgers are building a really, really good team. And, of course, you're going to be scared of playing a team that has a bunch of MVPs on it. But, like, that's a problem you're going to have to figure out down yeah. the road. It, at, at the end of the day, if you some if you get to a World Series and you're playing the Dodgers, you'll figure it out. And you're pretty happy about where you're at at that point. So... From an Orioles perspective, I don't think you're looking at the Dodgers with like a sense of worry because like you said, they are in the National League. You don't have to mm -hmm. play them very often. Obviously, they are building a very, very good team, but you never know what happens over the course of a baseball season. There are injuries, there are trades, there are you know superstars that pop up out of nowhere. So who knows where these two teams are going to be by the time that you would have to start really worrying about the Dodgers if you're an Orioles fan. I do also think, I remember last time you were on, we were talking about like players being humble and stuff. Mm. Um, I don't know if you watched the Otani press conference. I watched it right before I went to bed last night. He is so humble for $700 million. Like, I don't even know if I could be that humble for $700 million. Yeah, I, I don't know how many people on the planet would be that humble after getting $700 million. Wait. But uh, Otani, you know, a really good face for baseball. And, you know, while there may be some people that are, looking at the Dodgers and just thinking that they're forming a super team and they may not be too happy that Otani is, is going to 
the Dodgers and, and things like that. He, he's a great face for baseball, and, you know, it, it's a good situation. He's hopefully going to be winning a lot of games. I also found it funny. There was a reporter. He was like, okay, so Otani, like, your dog's name has been all over Instagram. Can you give us the name? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And Otani's like, yeah, it's like decoy in um, English. I forgot what he said. It was in uh, Japan. But I was just like, yeah. this is a funny question. And I was like, that's just a great question how it should happen. Yeah, well, there was uh, it was funny with the whole, you know, rumors flying around about, um, you know, what his dog's name was and stuff like that. And he said that he didn't want to give it away because it might say something about his free agency <laughs> and this and that. And uh, it, it's just funny to find out that it was decoy. Maybe it was the decoy plane that was going to Toronto. So uh, mm -hmm. a, a funny little anecdote there for Otani. And then Craig Kimbrough to the O's. Love it um people are like ew like i don't like this and i'm like just remember <laughs> it's a bridge to bautista like yeah it's not bad I, and i told my dad last time i saw my dad i did the the arm stance he was like oh, i know <laughs> what you're talking yeah. about now i was like we're gonna have to be getting used to it one year right. 13 million uh first off i think it was a steal after the tigers grabbed flaherty for 14 million one year so and i think kimple was way better than flaherty so getting him for one million less, like, I, th I think it's a great move for the Orioles. I mean, like you said, you needed somebody to come in this year to be kind of a bridge to Felix Bautista when he gets healthy in 2025. And Elias had said that they were looking for somebody with closing experience that could come in and be the ninth inning guy. And there was nobody on the market with more closing experience yeah. than Craig Kimbrell. Over 400 career saves. He's he's pushing for 500. He's he's pushing for a Hall of Fame career, and that's really cool to have on your team. And he might not be pumping the same 98, 99 mile an hour on the fastball that he was years ago. But, you know, the fastball still sits 96. It's a really effective pitch. The knuckle curve is still good. The strikeout rate for Kimbrell is still excellent. Playing at Camden Yards is going to help with the home run rate as well. So, you know, I think he left kind of a sour taste in people's mouths a little bit after the NLCS. It was a tough mm -hmm. stretch against the Diamondbacks. But that's also what you're going to get out of Kimbrel. He's streaky. Yeah. I mean, he'll have a month where he gives you a 450 ERA. And then the next two months, he turns around and gives you an ERA of like one. So <laughs> yeah. this by no means is a washed up closer or somebody who's just older. Like he was still an all-star last year. He was a really, really good closer. So I think this is an excellent move for the Orioles. He's got the club option for you know 2025. So if it works out, if he is a really good closer for Baltimore this year. Michael Elias said that, you know, they were hopeful that this could potentially turn into a two-year thing. So it's a good situation on both fronts because Kimbrell is is trying to build that Hall of Fame resume. He's trying to get to 500 saves. He's trying to win another World Series. And the Orioles are a very good team that had a very clear and present need. So it makes a lot of sense on both sides. Do you think, so obviously you played in Philly. Now it's coming to Ken Yards. Do you think the fan atmosphere is going to, affect him at all because like you know philly's crazy i mean can you guys can get crazy at times but not that crazy yeah i mean I, I think if you can pitch in that environment in philly you can probably pitch anywhere yeah. and craig kimbrell is is used to the moment he has pitched in 13 playoff series and I, I think he is going to be very used to being able to to pitch in a big sort of game i mean as you mentioned i mean when camden yards when there's a sellout game at camden yards you hear it and, you know, I'm sure pitching in Philly, he was hearing it all the time. Too. So, you know, he's used to that in Boston. He's used to that in Philly. And I, I'm not worried about Craig Kimbrell's ability to pitch under pressure. That's that's what he thrives on. And I mean, again, just backing up Kimbrell, eight and six last year. He was 23 for what, 28, 23 for 28 in save opportunities, which isn't mm -hmm. terrible. 71 games and ended up with a 3.26 ERA. I mean, you can't really ask for better in free agency, in my opinion. No, I, I think he was very clearly one of the best closing options on the market. And I, I think the Orioles, it was clear that he was their priority. Michael Elias said that Craig Kimball's agent was the first phone call he made in free agency. And they wanted to make sure that they got this deal done because the fit just made a lot of sense. And I, I think it's going to be a good marriage in Baltimore. And talking about winter meetings, I did hear this could be false. I don't know. I did hear that Elias was talking to Boris like once or two times a day about Henderson and Holiday. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was a that was a joke that Scott Boris made. Somebody had asked him how often the Orioles okay. call about extensions <laughs> for for Gunner and Jackson Holiday, and he was like, "Oh, well, only a few times a day." So, <laughs> yeah, I think personally, he's going to let him go to free agency. I mean, I, I don't see him 
being able to sign before free agency? Do you think there's a possibility of that? It's hard to say. I mean, it, it's Scott Boris. We know his reputation is to try to make sure that guys are maximizing their value. But at the end of the day, he's also an agent for players, right? Mm -hmm. He's going to do what the players want to do. So if the players go to him and say, you know, I want to stay here. I want to extend my contract for however many years. He doesn't have the final say. He can advise them. But at the end of the day, he's still his agent. So hard to say what exactly that is going to look like. We know Scott Forrest's reputation, but, you know, it, it, nice to hear at least that the Orioles are are trying to have those sort of extension talks. Michael Ias always says he doesn't comment on it, right? He doesn't yeah. talk about potential extensions for Gunner, for Holiday, for Adley, for any of the younger guys that you could be looking at for potential extensions because he's not going to say anything until it's done. They're not going to drum up rumors for no reason. So obviously it would make sense for the Orioles to try to extend some of their really, really good young players, and we'll see what ends up happening. And then Cam Yardsley's, I mean, I had to put it on there, have to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, hopefully third time's a charm. Um, going back and forth with it, they said they have a deal by Monday. And then what's weird is I posted something, I think it was Pam Koskala or something like that, um, said something. And this morning I looked at my Instagram feed, like my story, and it said it was like sensitive content. And it just <laughs> did not show up on my Instagram anymore. So I'm like, uh... Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't say too much about the lease. That is far above my pre-grade. All, all I can say <laughs> is that, you know, Camden Yards is an awesome place to play. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully we're going to be seeing really good baseball there for a while. So that's that's kind of all I got on that. <laughs> I mean, I don't think the only time I think they could have went somewhere else was in winter meetings when they were in Nashville. Like if something were to happen, I think it would have happened in winter. Yeah, who knows? I mean, I, I think, it, you know, the, the state and the Orioles seem committed to to playing at Camden Yards for a while and mm -hmm. uh, whatever ends up getting finalized, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I report for the team and, and yeah, things yeah. like that and, and far above uh, what I'm getting made for the, the people who are making that decision. So. And then earlier we were talking about, you were talking about Otani Yamamoto, how they basically took over the trade talks, all of that. Mm. Um, and then we have Juan Soto to the Yankees. He's just just there. Yeah. I yeah. mean, what do what do we think about that? <laughs> I mean, Juan Soto was really really good at baseball. Is is what I think <laughs> about that. I mean, what what are you gonna do? It's the Yankees, right? Yeah. They're they're gonna go out. They're gonna make big moves. It was a disappointing season for New York last year. Obviously, the fan base is not happy. And so, what do the Yankees do? They they go around and they trade for one of the best players in baseball. Who knows if they're going to be able to extend Juan Soto. He's got one year left of team control. Might hit free agency just because he wants to try to maximize his value. But, you know, they they do give up a really solid starting pitcher in Michael King and some some other good pitching prospects there. Kyle Higashioka as well was kind of Garrett Cole's guy. So, you mm -hmm. know, we'll see if that has any impact on Cole. But I mean, you don't like having to play Juan Soto in New York, especially in the the short porch at Yankee Stadium. So mm -hmm. that's going to be tough, but this is what the Yankees do, right? The Orioles know that this is the division that they're in. They're going to have to compete against teams like the Yankees that are going to go out and spend. They're going to make huge trades. They're going to compete with teams like the Red Sox who are spenders. The Blue Jays are spenders. I mean, Mike Elias jokingly said, like, we've got a bunch of big markets in the division, and one of them's a country. Like, that's, <laughs> the Blue Jays are going to spend, right? And the Rays are, are kind of Orioles-esque where they don't have to spend the big money on guys to still get really, really great production. I mean, the Rays just kind of do that year in and year out. So th this is this is what the AL East brings. And, and yeah. this is the kind of team that the Orioles have to build to be able to compete with teams like New York, who are just, you know, if they're not competing in the way that they want to, they're just going to go, all right, Juan Soto, here we go. I <laughs> think that's just what they do. I think if you're a Rays fan, though, you gotta have to be worried. I mean, Glasnow's gone. Uh, wh where's the Rose Arena's contract right now? Because isn't he in his like last year or something? Yeah, I mean, I could be wrong. I, I think the Rays have built up enough of a track record over the last few years where it seems like anybody that they trade for just turns into a really good player. Like, I, I think mm -hmm. the Rays have honestly just built that track record up to the point where. When the Rays make a move, it's kind of like Michael Elias with the Orioles at this point, right? We've seen it over the last few years. If Michael Elias makes a waiver claim, 
that has gone from like who cares it's a waiver claim to that guy actually might be a dude like we saw i mean it, small moves last year made a huge difference for the o's with guys like danny coulomb like ryan o'hearn the rays are kind of the same way i mean i i'm i know that tyler glass now is a really good pitcher but i'm sure that the guys that they got back will look at in two years and go oh yeah they got him in this trade and he turned out to be really really good because that's just what tampa does mm -hmm. someone else you forgot cano yeah yeah you <laughs> know again same sort of thing where the orioles make these small moves that you don't make a ton of and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden you look back and you're like where did this guy come from because he's hitting a he's got an 850 ops out of nowhere and you're like oh yeah he was a tiny trade for cash from kansas city like that that's just what the orioles do and, and tampa does a really good job of doing a similar thing and then obviously for the o's i think the big not the biggest thing but the first thing that i remember seeing for the o's this offseason was them re-signing jorge mateo and i was just like that's the first thing they're gonna do like i don't know yeah so jorge mateo was one of their arbitration eligible players they had a ton of guys that were eligible and you know they ended up going forward to either you know agree to contracts with those guys or agree to go forward with the arbitration process to tender contracts to them bringing back mateo i think makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. i mean you know what he gives you defensively you know what he gives you on the base paths we'll see if they can you know get the same bat that we saw in april out of jorge mateo i mean he had an unbelievable stretch yeah. at the beginning of the season I don't think he's a guaranteed starter at shortstop. Gunnar Henderson towards the end of the year was playing a lot of his games at short rather than third base. So who knows what Jorge Mateo's exact role will be, but he is certainly a valuable player and, and would certainly have a potential role in Baltimore. So do you think Mateo doesn't make it to opening day as like a starter? Because you have Holiday on the uprising. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a lot of competition. Yeah. I, I don't have a crystal ball to say, you know, who's going to come out on top of that competition, but you've got a lot of guys that are going to be vying for spots, right? I mean, Gunnar Henderson is a guaranteed opening yeah. day roster guy. I think Jordan Westberg has pretty much solidified himself as somebody who should be on the opening day roster for next year. And then after that, you've just got, you know, kind of, a, I don't want to say a mess of infielders because it's, it's mm -hmm. a lot of really good players, but it's going to be some tough decisions there. You've got... Ramon Arias and Jorge Mateo, who are the two kind of returning veterans. You've got Jackson Holiday, the number one prospect in baseball, who is talented enough to potentially yeah. make the opening day roster. We know the talents there. You've got Joey Ortiz and Connor Norby as well. You can't forget about those two guys who have been destroying in AAA Norfolk. Toby Mayo, I don't know if he's going to be in that opening day discussion, but Kobe Mayo looked awesome in AAA Norfolk last year. He's a third baseman too. So there's a lot of guys that are going to make the Orioles' decisions for their opening day roster very, very difficult. Do you think when it comes down to it that they're either going to have to pick between Mountcastle and Ahern, keep one of them, or both could be on the team? I think uh, there's a role for both, right? We saw it last year where you were able to platoon Ryan O'Hearn in a bunch of situations where if you were facing a right-handed pitcher, maybe you had O'Hearn at DH, or he was getting a spot in right field or first base, wherever it may be. Ryan O'Hearn's a good player. He mm -hmm. hit really, really well last year. Ryan Mountcastle, of course, is a very good player as well. So I think you're going to find room for both of them. O'Hearn makes a lot of sense as your backup first baseman. He can be an outfielder as well. You probably don't prefer him defensively yeah. in right field, but you know he can play right field for you. He looks at least solid out there last year. So I think O'Hearn definitely has a spot on this team. I think he earned one last year. And until we see otherwise, I, I think O'Hearn's going to be on this roster playing well. So, of course, we had that Judge News uh, 2022. What was the biggest news, in your opinion, for winter meetings this season? Ooh, man. I, I mean, I think, you know, the Otani buzz and rumors were, you know, really dominating winter meetings. There weren't a ton of huge signings made mm -hmm. in Nashville. I mean, yeah. you kind of had to look pretty hard to to find you know huge i mean the orioles came away with the biggest free agent signing of winter meetings and craig kimbrell mm -hmm. on a 13 million dollar deal was the biggest deal at winter meetings so uh, you could make a case that craig kimbrell to baltimore was you know the biggest free agent signing <laughs> out in nashville but I, I think the biggest thing with those winter meetings that elias has always said as well is that he doesn't necessarily look at it as a time where you have to make moves it, it's not a crunch time sort of thing mm -hmm. there's a lot of off season left but 
as much as we maybe don't see what specific moves are made and specific negotiations and things like that, there are a lot of conversations happening. It's it's a lot about information gathering and I'm sure a lot more of that happened than we are necessarily privy to when we are seeing, you know, the specific details of contracts and things like that. So I also know the O's were in on Otani for a little bit. Did they end up making a contract at all of anything you know or no? I, I've got no clue. I no mean, clue. I, I think, uh, you know, Otani <laughs> comes with a, a whole bunch of expectation, obviously comes mm-hmm. with a huge contract. So I don't know the extent if any, that the Orioles, you know, had interest in Otani or, you know, got to any sort of stage, I'm not sure. But I'm sure there are 30 teams in baseball that would love to have Shohei Otani on their team. The extent to which, you know, those sorts of conversations happen, I'm not sure. I I just feel like Angelus wouldn't say, I'm paying him 700 mil. Like, Angelus is not like, I'm not, no. And honestly, I'm fine with that. But like, because what worried me a lot with Otani in that press conference was like, yeah, I'll play my best for 10 years. He's like, I don't know how long my contract, uh, how long I'm going to be playing for. So I'm going to play my best. And I don't know why, but that just worried me right there. If you're a Dodgers fan and he says that. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a lot of money, right? It, mm-hmm. It's a huge contract to Otani, you know, whether it's the Orioles or another team around baseball, I'm sure everybody at least was interested in Shohei Otani from a pure baseball perspective, but you know, not just the Orioles. I mean, there are a lot of teams around baseball that, you know, aren't going to necessarily go to a $700 million contract. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, you never know. I mean, you never know what those sorts of conversations look like, but I don't think that's an Orioles specific thing to to look at a $700 million contract <laughs> for Otani and kind of go, ooh, all right, yeah. <laughs> I know, uh, I think Otani gave the Angels a chance to match it, and the Angels were like, "No, nah, we can't match that." And, and I was just like, "Of course, I mean, we it, can't it, match look, it. it's it's entirely possible that the Dodgers were one of one, right?" We saw a report from John Heyman that uh, said a, a, another executive had kind of messaged him and went, "We're not exactly at six ninety nine, so yes. uh, you know, seven hundred million dollars is a lot of money. Uh, good for the Dodgers; they got you know an absolute superstar in Otani, and you know." the Orioles have a lot of players that they are going to be looking at extending. This is a really good window for winning and pouring that much money into one player. I mean, it Mm -hmm. it might work if you're the Dodgers, but you know, I know the Orioles are going to be smart. They're going to be tactical and they are going to, to spend whatever money they need to spend, but they're going to do it in a smart way that sustains winning for a really long time. So the Yankees and Red Sox make a deal seventh time in history, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, before we go on, I did see a post on Instagram and it was like Alex Verdugo with a shaved beard. Looks like one of those, uh, paternity chapter presidents who everyone hates. Oh, God. And I just started laughing. I was just like, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, I thought this was big news. What did you think of this? I, I really did not expect this happening. Yeah. I mean, anytime you see a trade between the Yankees and Red Sox, it's big news, right? Uh, this was before the Juan Soto deal. So the Yankees get a a pretty good outfielder in Alex Verdugo. He's not a superstar at this point. You know, he's he's kind of a a slightly above league average outfielder when you're looking at things like OPS plus and, you know, just his war and and the value that he's bringing to a team. So I don't think it's a league breaking sort of move for the Yankees to get Verdugo, but he certainly helps with their outfield depth. Seems like Aaron Judge could be playing, you know, pretty much an everyday center field, which is interesting and we'll see what Verdugo's role looks like once the Yankees get Jason Dominguez back at some point during the 2024 season so you know I I don't think it's a a massive massive trade but you know Alex Verdugo left-handed hitter could do well in the Yankees short porch we'll see what ends up happening there but he's he's serviceable defender above average hitter it's not going to break the league but I, I do think it makes sense for the Yankees and the Red Sox get some controllable pitchers back that you know could end up being solid bullpen pieces or whatever you need them to be so uh, i think it makes sense for both sides and then i'm guessing yamamoto his two teams right now yankees and dodgers i can't see any other team do you agree with that hard to say i mean he had a meeting with the phillies we know the mets are still involved i I think the three front runners right now from everything that we've heard are the yankees mets and dodgers 
Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I, I think he's a fit with all of those teams. I think the Phillies could be a dark horse as well. We've heard about the Red Sox too. So, you know, I, I think all of those teams make sense. And it seems like he might make his decision relatively soon. Mm-hmm. And then what do you think you'd have to pay for him? Oh, man. I mean, Yamamoto <laughs> yeah. is a is a really interesting case because he's he's 25 years old. He yeah. was dominant. And he could be dominant in the big leagues for 10 years legitimately. So I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he gets a nine or 10 year contract. I could see him getting upwards of $300 million. He is one of the best pitchers to come out of Japan. We're talking about, you know, a Tanaka, you Darvish level of pitcher here. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if he gets a massive, massive deal because he's a really good pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I want to talk about the spring breakout. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, so from what I understand, it's teams versus teams, right? Like best prospects versus best prospects. Mm-hmm. Is it so like, say for the O's, is it would be like, say like Bradfield would be on the team with like holiday. Would it be like yeah, that? So how I, it it's a, it's a really cool idea. Um, from the sounds of things, we don't have, you know, entire specific details yet, but it's basically just a way to showcase your team's top prospects. And Mm -hmm. as an Orioles fan, it's going to be really exciting because you look at that top 10, top 15, and there are a lot of future big leaguers in there. There are a lot of guys that could be future superstars. So whatever the specifics end up being on that, I'm just really looking forward to seeing a lot of the Orioles prospects competing in that. And there's a lot of good prospects around baseball too. I, I think it's a great idea to showcase the kind of young talent that is on the come up. And I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So I don't know, like I know the NBA has the in-season tournament and the champions, whatever they get paid. Do yeah. you think they should be, get paid if they win or anything, like any incentives or like at least a pick for the team, like in the draft? Ooh, a, pick, a pick for the team would be cool. Yeah. I, I don't know specifics on incentives, but something like that would be cool to be able mm-hmm. to further incentivize teams to, to have, you know, those sort of top prospects, but yeah, it's a cool I idea. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Um, Blake Snell. Haven't heard anything really in a while. I mean, winter meetings really didn't hear his name. I know he lost sure. a lot of money, um, but I mean, he's an amazing pitcher. Why, why don't we hear his name? I know he wants a lot of money, but like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting case with Blake Snell too, right? He's a multiple time Cy Young winner, which doesn't happen on the open market very frequently. And I think the question with Blake Snell is whether or not the success is sustainable. He was really good last year in San Diego. The ERA was great. He had a stretch of 13, 14 starts where he looked like one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball. And he really was one of the more dominant pitchers in baseball for the entire year. He also led the National League in walks, which is not really a recipe for success Mm -hmm. more times than not. So do you feel confident if you're a team that's looking at Blake Snell that he can keep walking people with that frequency while keeping the ERA low? I don't know. That's a a question that teams are going to have to answer. So I, I think that's probably the case with Blake Snell which is you look at the ERA, you look at the strikeouts, you look at things like that on the surface that look really, really good, but you look at the whip, you look at the walk numbers, and it doesn't inspire a ton of confidence that you are getting somebody who is going to be year in and year out a Cy Young caliber pitcher. He has shown it at times, but you know, uh, teams are going to have to figure out whether or not the walk numbers are sustainable for success. How are they going to get those down in the future? How are they going to make sure that he is pitching the way that they want him to pitch. I think it also comes down to regular season and playoffs because I feel like more this season, I realized it as those were in the playoffs, the playoffs and the regular season, two different things. Like if he's walking people yep. in the regular season and he can get out of it. Okay. But if you start walking people in the playoffs, it's a whole nother scenario, whole nother atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what teams are going to have to determine is, can they get those walk numbers down? Can he continue to have the same sort of success that he had last year while the peripheral numbers may not be exactly what you want him to be? And then again, with the Glasnow contract, uh, they extended him five years, 135 million, 30 million club option for 2029. It's so weird seeing like 2029. Yeah, like, I'm that doesn't feel like a real year. 2026 at this point. 
It's right. so, so weird seeing these high, <laughs> high years. I'm just not used to it. Yeah, it's it's very strange. But the, the Glassnell contract makes sense. We knew that once he was getting traded, the team that got him was going to want to extend him. And when he's on the field, he's a really, really good pitcher. And if Tyler Glassnell stays healthy, then that five-year, $135 million contract is probably going to look like a steal for the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if he's on the field, he pitches great. And you just got to make sure that he stays on the field and stays healthy. And I'm sure the Dodgers have a good plan in place to, to make sure that they can do that. And then I know Tyler O'Neill went to the Red Sox. That's a small thing. Um, do you think it will benefit the Red Sox anyway? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tyler O'Neill is a, is a high upside player. He's got a lot of power. He's a, he's a good defensive outfielder. So definitely going to help. I mean, he will kind of fill in the gap that Alex Verdugo is leaving there. So I think we're, we're certainly going to see Tyler O'Neill as an everyday player, I would imagine. And you know, mm -hmm. he's, he's got high upside. I'm excited to see what he's able to do in Boston. And then obviously notable free agents. You got Kershaw and the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. I mean, Who's going to want to sign him? I don't think anyone's going to want to sign I mean, he's a great pitcher. Don't get me wrong. But how old he is? Kershaw seems like one of those guys that, you know, he's a free agent, but he is a Dodger, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he's been a Dodger for life. When you think of Clayton Kershaw, you think Dodgers. So yeah. I, I, I don't think Clayton Kershaw is going anywhere. And then you have Colton Wong on the Dodgers, which they should be signing him, hopefully. Uh, Julio Urias, who the, he probably won't play next season because um, everything has happened. Uh, then you have Brandon Woodruff on the Brewers. Mm. Yeah, Brandon Woodruff, an interesting case where was going to be injured for the 2024 season. Then uh, the Brewers decided to not tender him a contract. So Woodruff is a very, very good pitcher. Mm -hmm. It's just going to come down to whether or not a team is willing to pay him for the 2024 season where they know he is going to be out and just get the benefit of 2025, 2026, however long they give him that contract for. So Woodruff is a heck of a talent. And, you know, the Brewers kind of seem to be going in a different direction. We know Corbin Burns is on the trade block as well. So we'll see what direction the Brewers end up going in. But Woodruff is a good pitcher. You just kind of got to eat the year that he's not going to be able to pitch for you. And, you know, if yeah. patience might be a virtue there. I do think, though, uh, Corbin Burns, I think he either goes to the Dodgers or stays with the Brewers. That's personally what I think. Because um, <laughs> it kind of seems like the Dodgers are just getting everybody. Yeah, Yeah, I just can't see him anywhere else, to be honest. Um, Reese Hoskins on the Phillies. I mean, small name, but a really good player. Uh, hopefully, I, th I think the Phillies resigned him. I don't think it's a big deal right there, but could he go anywhere else? Yeah, I mean, I think Reese Hoskins could have a lot of possibilities. Uh, he is a good first baseman, not great defensively, but he has a really, really good plate approach. He's going to walk a lot for you. With the Phillies, you have Bryce Harper as your first baseman going forward. So mm -hmm. they don't necessarily need a first baseman. Reese Hoskins would be a solid DH option for them. Again, I mentioned he's he's not great defensively at first base, but he also, he's not like your prototypical DH power hitter. He's going to hit home runs, but he's not going to give you like 40 home runs. He's not that kind of DH. So I think he makes sense as a designated hitter, whether that is in Philly or somewhere else, not exactly sure. We've you know heard some rumors about Boston. We've heard some rumors about other places. You know, maybe the Giants would make sense there too, but Hoskins is still a really good player. I mean, going back to, to 2018, I say he's not a 40 homer guy, but he did have 34 homers in 2018. Like he could very easily give you 30 home runs in a season. So that's still a really valuable player to have. And, you know, I, I think he could carve out a, a really nice career for him after Philly if if the Phillies end up just going with Bryce Harper at first base. Then this guy's like Josh Hader too. Like his 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 name's not off the market. I was like, okay, like his name's gonna be off the market. Bellinger's name's gonna be off the market. They're still sure. they still on the market, and I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah, I, that's I, I think that's kind of the Otani effect, where a lot of teams were waiting to see where Otani went and where they'd be able to allocate their money. And you know, Josh Hader's gonna make a lot of money. He's mm -hmm. one of the best relievers in baseball. He's a really really good closer. That's that's hard to find. So Josh Hader is gonna make a lot of money. Cody Bellinger is gonna make a lot of money as well. Former MVP at a bounce back season last year, plays a good defensive center field, great power hitter. So it, those guys, those guys are going to get paid. I do find it crazy while we just talk, well, because I saw the Cubs here. Uh, if you actually think about it last season, if Seiya Suzuki made that catch, I think it was against the Braves, 
and they win that game, I don't think the Diamondbacks make the playoffs. I know, yeah. I know that sounds insane, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's, in that situation. that's I baseball. Know. I mean, yeah. you know, it, small things can make a huge difference. And it's always funny to think about 162 game seasons. And then mm-hmm. somehow it always comes down to the last few games. So, yeah. you know, the Cubs stumbled a little bit down the stretch and, you know, Diamondbacks were able to take advantage and now they're in a great spot. And then before we go into the Cubs, uh, Mookie Betts, second base. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice to be the Dodgers, I guess, right? I mean, Mookie Betts, one of the best defensive right fielders ever. He's got a cannon of an arm. He is excellent defensively. And it's a really nice luxury to have somebody like Mookie Betts, who is just so good at baseball that you can say, okay, you're going to play second base now. And he's probably going to be one of the best defensive second basemen in the league because he's Mookie Betts. And yeah, that nice, nice luxury there for the Dodgers to be able to move him around in the way, ways that they can. Marcus Stroman, another big name. Yeah. Yeah. Stroman, uh, Stroman is an interesting case again, you know, Really good pitcher. He's had a a track record of success. Has kind of bounced around more than you would expect the last few seasons. Mm-hmm. But you know, this is an all star from a season ago. ERA was up close to four. You'd like to see the WHIP come down a little bit. You'd like to see the walk numbers go down a little bit as well. But was solid with the Mets in 2021. Has been good with the Cubs the last few seasons. Not sure if he's going to get a massive years wise contract because he is going into his age 33 season i would imagine that he'll probably get a contract similar to what we saw from sonny gray maybe in that three-year range get him up to his age 36 season so stroman's a a good pitcher he's going to be valuable somewhere cody bellinger i think the cubs sign him i mean i think the cubs have to sign him just just as if you're thinking of it from a cubs fan point of view like i feel like the cubs want to sign him um Money though, I don't know where the money's going to land. Yeah, he's he's going to get some cash. I mean, he's a former MVP, like I mentioned back in 2019. He's just entering his age 28 season. Plays a good defensive center field, and after a couple of years struggling a little bit with the Dodgers, not really being able to find it, not being totally healthy, he gives you a four and a half WAR season in Chicago. Hits over 300 OPS. I think close to 900, a top 10 MVP finish. So Bellinger's going to get paid. And he's just entering his age 28 season. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a six, seven year deal somewhere, because even at the tail end of that, if he's not playing a solid defensive center field, like we know he can, he can also bounce down to first base and and plays a good first base as well. So I I think he's, he's going to be good somewhere for a long time. And I think a team's probably going to give him a long contract. I think Chicago makes sense. We've heard the giants as well. seems like the giants are kind of involved Mm -hmm. in talking to everybody. So it'd be interesting to see where Bellinger ends up. Talking about the Giants, I did see a post. I don't know why it was on my feed uh, from last winter meetings when they were close to Correa or whatever. And I was like, oh, they just signed Correa? And I, I was just like so confused. And then I look at the yeah. date and I'm like, oh, never mind. Yeah, there's no, uh, no <laughs> Correa drama from last year, which is certainly making things less exciting. So that uh, Correa Kevin drama was, was crazy. Yeah. Kevin Pillar on the Braves, free agent. Um, I think. Honestly, I think he's an amazing player because I'm an O's fan and I've seen him torture the O's yeah. uh, throughout my life. So, I mean, maybe that's why I put him on here. But still, <laughs> solid outfielder. I mean, anywhere he goes, I think he'll be fine. Yeah, Kevin Pillar, you know, entering his age, I think, 35 season at this point. Not sure if he profiles as an everyday starter mm-hmm. somewhere. Gave the Braves around 80 games last season. Was solid. He's still solid defensively. So I, I don't know if he gets an everyday spot somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised to see Pilar end up somewhere with a contending team, maybe as a, a fourth, fifth outfielder. And I mean, nine home runs is not a lot. So I mean, if you're looking at home run base, two twenty eight average, sure, is not is not the best. But defensive wise, oh my, yeah, God. he's amazing. He's a good veteran presence. He's he's a good defensive player. He's he's got value. He'll He'll bring a team some solid value for a year. Then you got, of course, we talked about Bryce Miller and the Mariners. Mm-hmm. Um, someone else in the Mariners, George Kirby. Yeah. Uh, all those pitching prospects, and I mean, I don't. Do they need hitting? I feel like a little bit, but like they yeah. do have young stars too. Yeah, they do. Uh, I think the Mariners can go 
in a lot of different directions for this season. You know, mentions that they ended up trading a Eugenio Suarez and they have all of those young starting pitchers. Maybe they end up moving one of those guys. But I mean, as of right now, I mean, they, they've still got a solid team that they're able to line up. But I, I think the Mariners are going to go out and, and get some more guys. I mean, they're right now you're probably looking at Canzone starting. You're probably looking at Tremel, maybe Josh Rojas as well. So I think all of those guys uh, could be potential spots for upgrades. Luis Arias slots in at third base at the moment, too. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you could upgrade in a lot of spots there. And we'll see if they end up moving from their starting rotation to to get that done. And then where is your spot for Jordan Montgomery? Because I saw like the Rangers were looking at him and then not looking yeah. at him. The Yankees were looking at him, they're not looking at him. Yeah, Montgomery's a, a tough one. I think he's going to make a good bit of money and he's probably going to profile as a, a number one, number two somewhere. I could see Montgomery with the Giants again. It seems like the Giants are, are kind of in on everybody. I could see Montgomery going back to Texas. They really liked him. That seemed to be a good marriage there. We've heard Boston floated around as a rumor for mm-hmm. Montgomery as well. So, you know, a, a bunch of different possibilities there, but he's he's going to be a good pitcher wherever he goes. He was solid in New York, even better in St. Louis, and then even better than that in Texas. So I, I think he probably gets four or five years somewhere, wherever mm-hmm. he goes. And then before going on to the closing, I want your thoughts on, of course, last year's playoff loss, what the O's should do coming into this next season. I mean, you can't take a ton off of three games, right? right? They end up losing to the team that goes on to win the World Series. Texas is a really, really dangerous ball club. We knew that going in. You didn't expect Grayson Rodriguez and Dean Kramer to have the kind of starts that they did in that postseason series, but that doesn't really change my opinion of Grayson Rodriguez or Dean Kramer. They had two bad starts. Mm-hmm. It happens, right? At Grayson Rodriguez, it was his rookie season. He's pitching at Camden Yards in a playoff series. That's a huge moment to put on a young guy like that. Dean Kramer, solid pitcher, probably wasn't even expecting to start in the playoffs for the Orioles because he had John Means going into that series who doesn't end up making the playoff Mm -hmm. roster. So I'm not going to take a ton from the playoffs. I'm not going to take a ton from Adley Rutschman struggling in that series or anything like that. I think the offseason needs are pretty clear that the Orioles wanted a closer, which they got in Craig Kimbrell, and it seems like they want an upgrade in the starting rotation as well. The team is going to get better position player-wise. You have a lot of young guys that are just going to develop and be better. I mean, Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, they are going to continue to develop. Colton Kowser, I'm excited to see what we have in him this year. Heston Kerstad, same thing. Jackson Holiday, of course. You could see guys like Kobe Mayo, Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby down the stretch too. So there are going to be just natural upgrades based on your young guys progressing and and some guys getting called up as well. I don't know if that playoff series tells me that the Orioles need to do anything specific. I think it's a good learning experience. I think, you know, being able to be in the playoffs at all is just solid. They are used to winning now. I mean, that yeah. team won over 100 games. They got the number one seed. They're not going to settle. This is not the Orioles team of old that wasn't really used to winning. You kind of had to build that culture. The culture is there now. And I think that's going to be really valuable going forward. There's going to be upgrades roster-wise, but I, I think just getting that experience, getting the one seed, getting to the playoffs, going through the gauntlet of the AL East, I think that's going to be really, really valuable. And we may not see it so, show up in the stat sheet, but yeah. I think we're going to see it show up in the clubhouse. I do think one thing that people, when they ask me, like, uh, about the playoffs, they're like, oh, the O's lost, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, a rookie of the year went six for 12, 500. I mean, yeah. you, you can't yeah. ask better than that. Right. I mean, Gunnar Henderson played his butt off. Kyle Bradish had a really good first start. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of positive signs to take from it, even if everything wasn't perfect. I mean, you, you got swept. Like, I, yeah. the Orioles are going to have a bad taste in their mouth. And I think that's a good thing. They're going to come out next year. They're going to be fired up and, you know, they're, they're not going to want to get slept in the playoffs again. They're they're going to be ready to go. Hey, look, I mean, it's better getting swept, in my opinion, by the World Series champions than someone else. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, right. you lost to the best, the best team in baseball, team. as it turns out. So uh, the same thing happened to the Orioles a few years ago when they just ran into the buzzsaw of the Kansas City Royals when they went mm-hmm. on to win the World Series. So, you know, sometimes it happens. It's just luck of the draw, I suppose. But then you have the wild card, right? And you just like all these hot teams come in. How does that yeah. like, 
when you're the one seed, you're like, okay, like you get the buy, but like, I don't know. I feel like, is it, I don't know. More yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It, it's hard. Like you said, the, the teams that get the wild cards definitely have momentum going into the next series. But at the same time, the team that gets the bye, they have an opportunity to rest. They have an mm -hmm. opportunity to, you know, get their practices in. They have an opportunity to throw their number one guy in that series. I mean, if you remember Texas in game one, they weren't starting Nathan Avaldi. They weren't yeah. starting Jordan Montgomery. They had to go with their number three option at that point to start game one because they had just had to go through the AO wildcard series. Mm -hmm. Brandon Hyde said that, you know, the time off maybe didn't necessarily help. I mean, maybe guys get cold, they just get out of rhythm a little bit, whatever it may be. So I don't know if there's a distinct advantage to being the wild card team versus, you know, being the one seed. If you're not the wild card, then you don't have to worry about getting eliminated in the wild card series, right? right? So you'd obviously rather get to move on to the ALDS. We'll see. I mean, it, it, if the team is able to prepare in the right way and, and get things going, then, you know, maybe it's a benefit. Maybe it hurts because you don't have the momentum. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of a toss up. And then let's see. Uh, for the closing, I wanted to thank you for coming on again, sharing your experience. Um, yeah, absolutely. If you want to do it next season, I'd love to. Um, yeah. You literally might need like now to win the meetings. And <laughs> I don't know. I just really enjoy talking to you, you and Paul. Um, was Paul at winter meetings? Because I know he's with the Baltimore Banner. Uh, Paul was not at winter meetings, but uh, the Baltimore Banner was with uh, Daniel Allentuck and, and Andy Casca. So the Baltimore Banner still had a, a good presence there, and, and Paul was was back still making great content for the Banner. It's pretty so, cool. Yeah, yeah. And then also, I want to tell you, uh, for my assignment, like for my like school assignments, like mm. what I've been doing for my school assignments, all baseball related, I've been doing like uh, so. I had a persuasive speech, so I did uh, why the MLB robots uh, shouldn't be in the MLB, um, and then for my research methods class, I did like uh, which was kind of funny, um, like player salaries in the MLB compared to like other jobs, and it was kind of oh, funny cool. because because then you have Otani with the seven hundred million right right <laughs> when I'm ending my speech, yeah, or, and I'm just like what's I was just like it's so weird because like. I'm talking about this. I'm like, you know what right. else? Like, Otani just signed a seven hundred million dollar deal. Like, right, a little bit of an outlier there. Yeah, right. <laughs> Again, thank <laughs> you though funny. for coming on, and I hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate it. See ya. And then I just got a clip to recording. Sure. Got it. Sounds good.